0: Osiris. This podcast is In The Loop, the legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com. DIY and How Studios presents Deeper Digs in Rock. Part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show.
1: Hello, diggers. Welcome to Deeper Digs in Rock, a production of Rock and Roll Archaeology. Christian Swain here, and I am the Rock and Roll Archaeologist behind the mic in San Francisco out in the field, all up in your earbuds, and thank you for joining us. In Deeper Digs, we go a little further, dig a little deeper into specific topics that tie in with rock and roll history, the music, the culture, and the technology. It's the companion show to our episodic overview of rock history, the Rock and Roll Archaeology podcast. If you're not listening to our main podcast, well, please do. This week, we'd like to ask you to just tell a friend. If you're so inclined and want to help out the Rock and Roll Archaeology family of podcasts, all of which can be found at rockandrollarchaeology.com, along with show notes, playlists, social media links, etc., all that good stuff. And most importantly, thank you. So let's get started. A fan? Well, of course you are. First, I'll bet you're a fan of rock and roll archaeology. Well, I certainly hope so. Second, I know you're a fan of music. But now ask, are you a fanatic? You know, fanatical, filled with excessive and single-minded zeal or obsessively concerned with something. Yeah, that's from Webster's. We might use the term super fan, but it's just the same. This is serious devotion I'm talking about. Uh, a love that is spiritual, and love is the best word to connect to the emotion one feels when one is fanatical. Well, today we have someone who is the embodiment of a superfan, a fanatical, a real fan of the prog metal band Rush. Ray Wozniak, is a very special guy, and God bless him. He is Mr. Rush, if you ask me. He is the unofficial historian for the Rush crowd, and let me tell you, he really should be official. So, if Alex, Getty, or Neil are listening, uh, put this guy on the payroll. So, sit back and enjoy my interview with Ray while we discuss all things Rush.
0: mean means
1: right to taste so you mean
0: Welcome to Deeper digs in rock Ray Warsniak. How are you today? Kirsten, peace to you. Thank you so much for having me here. Great to be here. Thanks for making this time available.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh so look uh i have considered uh, the best way to put this interview together, and there's just no other way to do it than to tell the diggers that i I'm just not going to uh be unbiased today i What they don't know is that yes, I too. I'm a huge Rush fan and have uh-huh. been since my youth. In fact, I would even say that Rush is probably my band of youth, both positively and negatively. And, I, and I'll get that into that here real quickly, and then we'll get to you. But uh-huh. when I was 15 years old, ninth grade, um, first year in high school, I uh, was in theater class and um, trying to make some time with this hot theater girl and mm-hmm. uh and what you talk about is uh, a lot about music and
0: sure.
1: and so uh uh she says to me uh, hey have you heard of this band rush and i said uh oh you mean like mahogany rush uh frank marino, frank marino. no 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 this is rush you would really like this band, and that was about it for the girl. And uh, like uh, about six months later, um, I uh, bought into the old CBS Records uh, nickel, and you know, get ten records. Uh,
0: yes, ten uh, uh, and for, a, for and ten.
1: So I'm going through and, I, you know, I'm picking the usuals, Aerosmith and Ted Nugent and some of these others that are kind of normal out there. And I have a couple of spots left. And the two that I picked uh, were one, um, Terrapin Station by The Grateful Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second was 2112 by Rush. And it was just the, the the girl's voice came in my head. And she said, oh, she said, I'd like this band. Long story is until about 1985, that was the only album that I still had, uh, was 2112. And I've got to say, between those years of uh, 1976 uh, to about 85, 86, Rush was just echoed through all of my, uh, my youth and uh, even my uh, musical career to, to what I consider my detriment. Because, I mean, who could ever be Rush when you get right down to it? So, mm-hmm. so that's my Rush. Origin story, Ray. What's yours?
0: Thank you. First of all, I want to know if you've had that girl that you referenced on uh, on any of your on any of your shows. I'm not sure that she knows the uh, lasting legacy that <laughs> <Right>. that you're <laughs> indelibly stamped because of that innocent conversation. And isn't that the case with is that the case with all people who have some degree of fanaticism about their particular favorite artist or or band or sports team or whomever, that there's some small story that led to this greater something X number of years later. Yeah, it's
1: it's just a little tiny moment, the tiniest of moment, but yet it still resonates to you 50, Mm -hmm. almost, I mean, 40 years later.
0: Yeah, there's a a small moment story that annually I have my students, uh, I teach elementary school and I have my students write a small moment story in which they are indelibly stamped. I, I ask them to try to tap into that, that they're indelibly stamped by this one particular moment that somehow had a, you know, magnificent impression upon them greater than the moment itself. So for myself as a kid, music was just a part of my household. Music and sports, sports, I told you earlier, sports had been just crammed down my throat. <laughs> All right. Thankfully, I'm, I'm appreciative of it. Mm. Uh, m- music wasn't crammed down my throat, but it just encompassed everything around me it was just kind of music through osmosis so at that time in the early to mid 70s am radio was what was playing all the time and you'd hear Linda Ronstadt and barry manilow and the eagles and fleetwood mac and so at one point in there in the late 70s all of a sudden i heard a super tramp song on the radio that just on am radio the logical song when breakfast mm, yeah. in america was released in 79 yep. mm-hmm. song had my attention that song got my attention so i went out and bought the seven inch single of the logical song and that was sort of my first immersion into the pool of rock let's say so there i was now swimming in the pool of rock uh at that time my cousin was also in that same pool but he had immersed himself a little bit deeper and he had discovered this band rush after he went through his humongous genesis phase uh, he was now into Rush, and whenever I'd go to his house, he was, you know, trying to cram Rush down my throat, knowing that while well, I was into this band Supertramp, hey Ray, if you like Tramp, you should like heard, this one too, right? Have you heard about Rush? I begrudgingly listened to his sales pitch, but somehow his sales pitch made an impression <laughs> upon my made upon his pitch made an impression upon my brother, who acted upon it and went out and bought his, my brother bought his own vinyl copy of Moving Pictures. This is 1981. I was 15 years old at that time. Your listeners can do the math. <laughs> right. So I was 15 years old there in 81. My brother had Moving Pictures and it was not a part of my life. He was listening to this band, I was not. Then later in 81, Exit Stage Left was released and then my brother would call me into his room. Hey Ray, you gotta listen to you know listen to this guy's voice. I'm talking about Getty, of course. Here we listen to this song. And he did it enough that I began to be aware of them. But that was about it. I heard of Rush. I'm aware of them. The end. Well, early the following year, they released the Exit Stage Left concert video and MTV aired the Exit Stage Left concert video. Ah, I remember that. So I sat down the night to watch it being world premiered on MTV just out of curiosity. Hey, these guys are gonna be on television. I've been hearing them come out of my brother's room. Let me sit down and listen. And I sat and watched it, and you know, as as I like to say still, not with regard to Rush, but with a lot of things, at that point after that airing, you know, they had my attention now. That that now I was aware of this band and they had my attention. So not too long thereafter. I decided I'm going to start taping some of my brother's albums that he had bought. So I taped my own. Come on, weren't those the magic days where you would borrow somebody's vinyl album and make your own taped copy of Fly By Night, make your own taped copy of Crest of Steel? And I had begun to do that enough that I was prepared for the inevitable release of their next album in September of 82 when they released Signals. That was the first record of theirs that... I was ready, I was anticipating the release of this record. Right, mine
1: was Hemisphere, so
0: I I know what you mean, yeah. Yes, September of 82, I was 16 years old. This band that had been totally, that had taken over my world and totally had my attention was putting out a new record and I was just ready for it. Yeah. So I went to the, my sister drove me to the mall I bought a cassette version of Signals, which, of course, I still have behind me here. and That's here where the journey begins. And here I am 35 years later. You, you said at the outset there, you said, ah, Rush was the you know, band of my youth or my childhood. Rush has been the band of my past, of my present, and I'm sure of my future. It's clearly still, after all these years, being a Rush fan is how I define myself
1: yeah you you are you know what what i guess in the uh modern colloquialism is called a super fan uh mm-hmm. and uh you know you developed that uh you know uh, over the years i mean you now are literally sitting in a, a shrine of uh of this uh three piece band from Canada with you know some unusual uh lyrical content uh and mm-hmm. uh do, do, you know, and that might be the first question that 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 I have here is, is is it is it the lyrics that that speak to you? It's
0: it's an it's an amalgamation of everything, mm-hmm. as it is for most people with their bands. It's a combination of sure, so you know some of the lyrical content absolutely hits home with myself, as it does with so many of your listeners. Or well, so you, many... you
1: mentioned subdivisions, which, mm-hmm. let's face it, the thematic content of that album really mm-hmm. fits nicely in, you know, your personal experience, wouldn't you say, in the early 80s, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you're uh, of that particular age, you know, you're what, Fifteen, sixteen. Uh, at that moment, you live in those subdivisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Neil Parrott, who's the, the primary lyricist for uh, for Rush after he joined the band, you know, uh, after going from, you know, fantasy and sci-fi and uh, Ayn Randian type mm-hmm. topics, um, you know, began to get more personalized and that was his background uh, as well, you know, growing up in the suburbs of of, uh, of these towns and you know by the time we get to the early 80s it's uh, a defining uh, piece of, a, of Americana certainly mm-hmm. and uh, and that's the, the big point of that album so would you agree with that that, that maybe you know that particular album especially even more so than uh, the album previous Moving Pictures and Tom Sawyer and, and what mm-hmm. came with that this album really does coalesce around the experience of you know that particular person of which you demographic Are defined by.
0: Yeah. Does does Signals fit that criteria? Sure. Although, at that point, again, as a 16 year old, was it the lyrics that were sweeping me off my feet? Was it just the production that was. The big synthesizers, uh, uh, right? Right. Right. At that point, it was everything. And isn't that an incredible growth as as a writer that, you know, Neil did the work for that record in late 81 and early 82, lyrically, that is, just. Seven years after he was writing Torn the Snowdog," I mean, <laughs> think, of, think of the lyrics of Torn the Snowdog," and then you look at something like Tolkien-esque. You know, yes, right. Yes, it's an right. exhibition in lyrical polarity mm-hmm. in in the short span of seven years. That's an incredible growth. That's an incredible testament to his growth as a writer, mm-hmm. for sure. Let alone his, you know, expertise as a drummer. I like your I like your early uh, identification uh, that prefaced that question saying something you addressed me there as a super fan and in one of your questions that you had sent that led up to this i have them here next to me how does one yeah. become a super fan yeah how does and, one become a super fan well first of all that you must go to the uh super fan cape store it's not until you <laughs> do you become a super fan once you've got the cape yeah. it doesn't yeah. matter what your resume says but is it is it do
1: you do you just wake up one day and look around and go oh oh my god uh, no, I there's, need a
0: cape. There, there's certain, there's certain uh, benchmarks that I've set for myself along the way that to me were not unrealistic goals. They were very real things that I had aspired to as a fan. That Okay, when when you're young and you're just starting out, once this rush band had come and swept me off my feet, the first logical thing was, holy cow, I've got to get all their albums. Yeah, you got so, get you got to get the back catalog, right. Number one, let me get their albums. Mm-hmm. Then it was, all right, I've got to see these guys in concert. Then once you see them in concert, then it's, holy cow, that was incredible. I've got to sit front row. So then you sit front row, which I've done 30, 25 times. Who, who knows? I have to look at my beloved list here. Uh, once you sit front row, then it's, holy cow, I've got to meet these guys. So all these little steps – that I've achieved along the way, all these steps that I've enjoyed along the way have gotten me to the to the point where I'm at now where just last week, or excuse me, just within the last couple weeks, for example, uh, the band re-released A Farewell to Kings in yeah. celebration of the 40th it's anniversary of that mm-hmm. record with a gorgeous, mega, uber, super deluxe box set. And to see my name in the credits of that re-release, as was the case with the re-release of 2112 last year, when 2112 celebrated its 40th anniversary, uh, three two years before that, when the first record was re-released in glorious box set fashion, my name appeared in each of the three of those. And that was just a goal that, even as a super fan, as you identified it, that never even was on my list. That wasn't the next point. I never got to thinking, all right, the next thing I need to do is, now I need to do something more- <laughs> so they get recognized and my name is in the that never even crossed my mind
1: well, so, well let's talk about that because the reason your name is now appearing on these uh uh these albums is because it this is not you know and and maybe the term super fan is incorrect and it's more rush historian mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, you know i, like that. I mean that's, that's that that probably fits you a little bit better wouldn't you say yeah, that'd be more appropriate to put on a business card than to identify, <laughs> identify myself as a as a super fan to self gloss yourself, I believe, as Jim Rome would call you. <laughs> yeah. Jim Rome would identify to gloss yourself as a super fan is Yeah. Well, uh let's say you're not
1: uh, you're not dressing as Getty Lee and going down to cosplay at the uh the Rushka con, right?
0: No, no, good, good God, no,
1: yeah, but uh, but you are a, a, a bit of a historian, uh, and they have actually come to you to uh, look for for
0: for things, right? Indeed, yeah, and that all the work I've enjoyed in the last nine years or ten years or so, in direct affiliation with the band or someone related to the band, I can I can trace the roots of that to. Uh, I saw the band at a show in in Toronto. Rush's the, home base for those who it, don't it, know, indeed. Uh, and I ran into Sam Dunn, who was just walking around the floor. Uh, at that point, when I ran into Sam, who's a great filmmaker, who you know, Rush fans would know as you know, the guy who did Beyond the Lighted Stage, mm-hmm. me, Beyond the Lighted Stage. Uh, at that point, when I saw him on the floor prior to the show. I approached him knowing he was the guy that did that movie about about headbangers and about, uh, excuse me for not recalling the name of it immediately, uh, but he did a movie on heavy metal music and headbangers. Mm-hmm. And there was something about this movie that just completely captivated me, and I love the story he was telling in this movie about headbangers. The movie may be called that. You'll probably want to – Look that up in postscript or something so anyway I approached him how you doing excuse me are you Sam yeah hi I'm Ray Wozniak nice to meet you I love the movie that you did you know thank you so much said hey under what circumstances I asked him under what circumstances are you here today? are you just a Rush fan here to see the show he said yeah I'm a fan but I'm also thinking about doing a movie on the band now at, at that point and still I know that I was the best resource this guy could have so I made no bones about saying, look, if you're really serious about doing work in the band, I'm the one that you want to have on your side. Let, let me let me help you, or however it came out, I'd be happy to help you. After that show and in the, in the days thereafter, I contacted him saying, hey, it was nice to meet you the other night, etc." He sent my contact information to his secretary, who contacted me. I contacted her back via email, and in doing so, when I contacted her back, I attached – a copy of my beloved, ridiculous rush list. This list that details my entire collection, which I have here next to me, which now in the end of December of 2017 now stands at 94 absurd pages long, detailing every little thing that I own. So I sent this to her. She must have received this list and in turn Sent it to, to Sam or to the other people who were working with him on the movie that became Beyond the Lighted Stage. So not too long thereafter, I got a phone call at home from Martin Popoff, the art and mar- the author, the excellent author Martin Popoff, who also was an important part of the making of that movie, mm. of Beyond the Lighted Stage. So Martin called me and you know introduced himself and which is the,
1: the and let's let our, our diggers know that
0: it's the definitive movie of the history of Rush. It's one of, you You can say that's a definitive movie. You can say Time Stand Still was a definitive look at that particular tour. Yeah, Beyond the Light of yeah. is an excellent overarching story of that. Yeah. So Martin contacted me and said, you know, hey, I've got this list here in front of me that's been sent to me. Do you really own all this stuff? <laughs> I said, yeah, I, I absolutely do. He said, okay, well, you know, let me tell you a little bit about the movie that we're making. We think we really need your help. So Martin came here to my home and spent a, A great day here with myself. Sometime thereafter, I was in Toronto once or twice in Sam's studio talking with him and the team about some of the work that they had done already. And that led to the next project, which was a a book that Martin was doing, uh, Rush the Complete Illustrated History, that led to my participation in the re-release of the first album in which I was contacted. Hey, we're going to do a box set re-release celebrating 40 years of the first record. What do you have that you might be able to contribute and help in the packaging of the first record? That led to 2112. That led to Rush Album by Album, Martin Popoff's most recent book. That led to A Farewell to Kings. And I will say nothing about what lies it's ahead. coming Oh,
1: Oh, is there is there talk of uh, some more things coming out I hope so. Wink, mm-hmm. wink. Yeah, I mean, I let's mean, let us let us uh, again. Uh, you know, um, uh, the band has uh, indicated that uh, things may be coming to an end. You know, uh, as as a, as a musician, I, I understand that the, the rigors of playing can can be uh, you know um, uh, taxing uh, on on one's uh, health, and the harder the music, the harder the the musical content. The the you know, uh, as I like to say, I, I kind of stay. In that seventies classic rock sort of thing, um, mm-hmm. I think I can do that in, in, in into my seventies. But I see the metal players, and mm-hmm. uh, and you know that's 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 an, a, an athletic type event. And let's face it, mm-hmm. what Neil does is mm-hmm. very athletic. And. Um, you know i think um i can understand that uh you know his physical skills uh just due to aging you know begin to deteriorate and there's no way to to continue uh you know uh and uh, and i think um alex uh, there is um uh arthritis issues with him and this this music is very very taxing to to play and so we may really be seeing the the end of 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 rush what do, what do you think of that
0: Yeah, I'll I'll talk about a couple points that you made there. First of all, I think the only people who could really testify as to the physical labors that those guys and other musicians have to deal with are their colleagues, are their Mm -hmm. musical colleagues. You look at you look at some of the performers who are really so physical. Look at a guy like Jason Newstead, the ex bass player of Metallica. Just to watch him play all those years, part of me wonders. I I know that he's no longer in the band, and that it's. Real soft spot for him is history of Metallica is a real soft spot in his heart. But at the same time, I think part of me has got to think, "Ah, good. I'm kind of glad I'm done because, good Lord, that was just so physically taxing on me. Right? You you can't be 70 years old and play like he did Metallica. You you know, can you be 70 years old and get up on stage and play the way that Neil did? You know, I don't know. But uh, you know, are they done? Uh, I'll give you a couple little. Nuggets here. Okay, so the the last tour there in 2015, when the the tour came to an end and all the talk was going on about, you know, ah, they're done, they're done. A lot of people were complaining, or many people were complaining, ah, can you believe that they didn't go overseas? Can you believe that they, they didn't? Show respect to their fans in England. Well, I don't know. They were there. They were there 38 years. You know, they were there 38 years before that. Or they, they've been there so many multiple times. If you waited till 40 years, to see them, <laughs> know. Part of me thinks yeah. you weren't really a fan to begin with because they started coming over there in '77. You had from '77 up until 2012, so they gave you more than enough of an opportunity for, for you to see them. Second of all. If, if they are if they are indeed done, you, you know, I'm surrounded here at home by tangible memories, thousands and thousands of tangible things that surround me, that continue to remind me of, of Rush, of who they have been in my life, of who they still are in my life. But those, no matter what happens in the future, the memories are still safe. You know, I listened to a great interview with Mark Brzecki, the great drummer, most notably known for his work with Big Country and the band Big Country have continued on in recent years, much to the chagrin of some people who have called blasphemy upon Big Country for continuing on post Stuart Adamson's unfortunate passing. Yeah, And Mark recognized that and said, you know, if, if you don't like what we're doing now, that's Okay the memories of, of what we have of what we were, the memories are still safe. We're not tainting the memories. And I kinda quite like that as it pertained to myself and Rush, that, you know, I have an idea of where they're at now and I have an idea of where they're going, but their memories are still safe. Everything that they did up to twenty fifteen, those haven't changed. Those memories haven't changed. They're still safe. Oh, so you know
1: when we talked a little bit about Supertramp. We talked. uh, You just mentioned Metallica, and now Big Country. And you know, I'm sure there's been other musical acts throughout your life like those that uh, you know meant uh, something to you. Yeah. But but not to the extent of Rush. I mean, here in '83 with with uh, subdivisions, you, you 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 found you know the calling. Why Rush? Why why just that particular band and nobody that 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 could. Supplant it, um, because mm-hmm. for myself, as we, you know, as I said, we began. This was a huge, important band to me. But by the time I get to about 1985, um, you know, there, you know, certainly after uh, Moving Pictures, uh, you know, I, I, would seen every tour from uh, from Hemispheres up to Grace Under Pressure. And mm-hmm. certainly by the time Grace Under Pressure, I kind of went, okay, I, you know, I'm done. I've, I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've done my thing with them, and I'm more interested in these other things that are, are surrounding me. But mm-hmm. you didn't do that. You are dedicated and remained mm-hmm. dedicated even to this day. So why why this particular band?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, there's, there's so many points there to what you brought <laughs> up. I, th- I think, first of all, it is te- it's, it's testament to my loyalty that that is – part of my makeup I'm loyal obviously to rush I mean inclo- I'm incredibly loyal to the buffalo sabers and the buffalo bills I'm loyal to my wife I'm loyal to my kids I'm incredibly loyal to my family and there is something about my DNA that my loyalty is manifested in so many ways mm-hmm. uh yeah there have been other bands who I have felt like I was having a borderline affair with this other band <laughs> That's a way to put it. Yeah, they they would never supplant Rush. Even when I sit down and make, I'm going to answer your question, by the way, of why Rush. Still, when I sit down and make these lists every, every year or every two or every couple of years, I'll sit down and make my current top 20 bands and artists list. Because so many times in conversation with friends, somebody would reference a band and I would say, ah, they wouldn't even make my top 20. Ah, they wouldn't even make my top 50. Until one point I decided, you know what? I think I'm actually going to sit down and I'm going to put together my official list in full detail I mean, nobody's ever going to supplant rush as number 1 they're they're more than just my favorite band why rush to answer your question why rush i don't know Conf- confucius would say why not
1: yeah. <laughs> but it's—I oh, mean—have oh, have they constantly just not disappointed you? Is, is it—you it, it, know—they've—they've they've made a, a several musical changes uh, yeah. uh, over the decades. Uh, you, know, I, I distinctly, you know, I distinctly—you know—I mean, let's face it: the first album uh, with John Rutsey on drums is very different than when Neil comes in. I—I I would put—you uh, know—Caress of Steel, Fly by Night, Caress of Steel, and in twenty-one twelve. Uh, kind of as a triptych that works really well and to say, you know, here is a moment in time of, uh, of these artists. Uh, whereas uh, Farewell to Kings begins a little bit of a change and then Hemisphere takes it to the nth degree. And then, right. of course, they just Chuck that all and say, okay we've gone about as far as we can here, right. and then permanent waves comes mm-hmm. and let 's face it uh, up until permanent waves, um, certainly in this country, uh, rush got no radio airplay um, right. i mean I, I remember the day hearing uh spirit of the radio uh and uh, on the radio and was like oh my god now everybody's gonna get it now everybody's gonna understand what i've been talking about for the last several years uh you know and then by the time you get to um uh, uh, after moving pictures, you know, the, the synthesizer begins to really take over and a lot of people begin mm-hmm. to say, well, you know, looking back at it, it all makes sense to me uh, as a musician because of the, the growth and the change in um, uh, the technology, the fact that, uh, you know, um, uh, the culture had shifted, uh, tastes had shifted, and in some small way, Rush kind of went along with that in in their own unique way um, they they never were ever you, you could never uh, consider them chasing um, you know a hit uh, mm-hmm. let's say but you know, but they did uh, kind of migrate from piece to piece uh you know by the time you get into the 90s uh, they've gone to a, a completely different direction and of course in the latter 90s you have this disaster that uh, occurred with with mm-hmm. Neil and and mm-hmm. his uh, uh, personal uh tragedies and they stopped touring and stopped mm-hmm. uh, recording uh, and it could have been for Ever, but uh, I think they come back in what, 2002, is that right? Yeah. June of
0: 2002 and they returned to stage, you know, but all those, all those changes that you just identified, I'm glad they went through all that. Here I am at age almost 52 and the music that I listen to now at age 52, there's a lot of things I listen to now that I wouldn't think to have listened to when I was 22. Mm-hmm. That my tastes have changed. I'm currently head over heels in love with Imelda May, who's an Irish rockabilly girl that all your listeners, if you're not aware of Imelda May, I-M-E-L-D-A May, look her up. I'm in love with Imelda May, and her music is not music that I would have been attracted to 30 years ago or 35 years ago when I was discovering Rush. Mm-hmm. so my tastes have changed well their music was changed i'm i was growing and maturing in what i was listening to wouldn't it make sense then that these artists are similarly growing and maturing as well in what they were in the product that they were putting out so it was easy to it was easy to stay with them because they were evolving just as my tastes were evolving they did but
1: it, they did kind of evolve in a in a, in a unique way i they mm-hmm. never kind of chased the trends Mm-hmm. per se. But they added pieces uh to their music which kept them fresh. Uh, although I there's say. something
0: about there's something about where they ended uh on records that if you listen to a song from their most recent studio album, Clockwork Angels, which was released in two thousand twelve, you listen to a song like Headlong Flight from that record, there are el from that song, there are elements of that song that are akin to to working man from the first record yeah. to sit and watch Rush perform headlong flight with this reckless abandon on that tour and the subsequent tours on which headlong flight was played they played that song with the same kind of reckless abandon that you would have seen them play working man or see them play working man and headlong flight and working man would both appear in the same set and i just felt the similar kind of reckless abandon as i'm identifying it you would feel that coming off the stage during the performance of both of those songs so there is a circuitous route that they went through throughout their career to end up right back where they came from and in
1: some ways, well, that that makes sense after a forty-year career to begin mm. to look back and mine uh, all of the influences that that you know you were discovering as you went through that to now go back and kind of put that uh, together. It's not too dissimilar from what David Bowie did with uh, uh, his last couple of albums um, before he passed. So, so here's a question for you: Why sure. isn't there a Rush museum, and uh, with you as the senior curator?
0: <laughs> You could ask, uh, ask my friend ask my friend Joe that question. I'm sure Joe's going to be listening to this. Joe Sisti is going to be listening to this, and Joe's been cramming that idea down my throat for the last couple of years. You know, Ray, that, you know, similarly...
1: Now, Ray, you'd probably have to move to Toronto, but uh, other than that, I don't I'm, see this being a problem. No, I'm,
0: I'm close enough, first of all, geographically. Uh, yeah, but there's, there's so much, you know, here that surrounds me, stuff that I have bought over the course of the years. But at the same time, A lot of things are being just generously sent to me. Uh, Last year, there was an article in our local paper, The Buffalo News, in which Jeff Myers, uh, the excellent music writer for The Buffalo News, did this whole feature story on myself. After having seen me appear in the Time Stand Still documentary, he contacted me not knowing, holy cow, there's this resident Rush expert. Right right here here in town, right? Right here in town. So he did this great story on me that appeared in the Buffalo News, and I was very thankful to Jeff for doing what he did. But not too long thereafter, I was contacted by uh, Ed Toth, the drummer for the Doobie Brothers. Hi, Ray, you know, I saw your appearance in in the Rush documentary. I have some things that I just think should be sent to you that belong to you. And when I shared this story with my aforementioned friend, Joe, he said, Ray, I'm telling you. I keep telling you, you there has to be some sort of Russian museum. You need to be the, the, the curator of it all. So I'm reciprocating to your question or I'm replying to your question just by saying, yeah, I've heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> so there should be one. You'd be willing
1: to take the job. We just need to get the, uh, the funding together is what you're yeah.
0: suggesting, so. Willing, yes, they'd be a fool to hire somebody other than myself. I know, You know. not only do I know what surrounds me, I know what doesn't surround me, I know what's still out there, and that's still part of a reason for my continued fanaticism. I mentioned before something about the goals that I had established. At one point, one of my goals was, okay, I know I've got a lot of rough stuff, but I know that there's more out there. I wanna get everything that's out there. And it didn't take me too long to realize, well, that's never going to happen. I'm never going to get everything that's out there. But really, for a long time, that did drive me and kind of still does drive me. I still love that thrill of coming home, seeing a package in the mailbox, knowing, oh, OK, this is a good new rush, something that awaits me here today. Yeah. OK, so let's assume
1: that um, mm-hmm. the, the three uh, the three headed monster gets together and says, you know, or, or, or Justin Trudeau. Uh, calls the three head monster and says, "Okay, yeah. hey, look, we 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 just have to we just have to put this together. You, we've secured the funds. We will put the museum, uh, you know, in downtown Toronto. And uh, so, with I'm going to give a two part question here. What do you have in your collection right now that is mm-hmm. your prized possession that would be the premier object for people to come and see? And then the second part is, what is the piece that you think should be the prime object that people will come to see at this soon-to-be-open museum
0: yes and the soon-to-be-open museum. well i'll answer the second question first i think that the artifact that people would come to see would be their first album released on their independent label oh, moon, records, on, right. on moon records right on records and similarly the first single uh that was released as well. But those those two, those two artifacts would clearly be 1A and 1B that people would come to see. Mm. Of, of my own, I mean, my, my prize possessions that surround me here, just like yourself, just like a lot of your listeners, that I'm sure your listeners have prizes in their collection that might not be the most monetarily valuable, but for some reason, these particular artifacts hold Uh, a story. Emotional resonance, right? Yeah, that represents something. Uh, For myself, it's two things. Grace Under Pressure, Japanese tour book. The band played in Japan once in November of 1984, and forever getting a copy of that tour book was number one on my list because I knew the tour book had, I think, 12 more pages. I knew part of the text of the tour book was written in Japanese, and I just had to have one of these. And to finally have gotten it, it took me quite a long time to get one of these, Center Pressure, Japanese tour books. Now, if I put that up for sale on eBay, it would go for some money, but there's things I have here that would go for a lot more than that. But just knowing how long it took me to get that one, that's one of the two things that I would provide this Rush Museum. Secondly, there's a poster that I have. Uh, currently, my Rush poster collection is at about 100 and... Uh, I'm looking at my list here. It's at about 140, 145-ish different Rush posters. Mm. One of them, this Rush Presto poster, was sold only at the last three dates that the band played on the Presto Tour out in California, out in your neck of the woods, in June of late June of nineteen ninety. This poster had pictures of the band on tour, taken during the Presto tour, so Obviously, this poster wasn't available at early shows on the tour when they were just starting, but that poster took me forever to get, forever to find. It's aesthetically pleasing. I like the look of that band at that part in their career. It's not easy to find. You you can find it, and again, I have things that are more valuable than that. For instance, an Alex Lifeson handwritten letter from January of 1977. (laughs) I'm sure people would love to see that and love to read that, and it's cool and a real cool thing in my collection and there's so many small little cool things that I have that I've acquired over the course of the years, but that Presto poster still really does it for me
1: So I was in London uh, two years ago and went to the British Museum and in, uh, uh, in the British Museum uh, alongside uh, the works of Shakespeare and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Wellington, uh, the writings of Henry the Eighth. Are five original lyric sheets from the Beatles mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so my question is the Beatles obviously are you know the atomic blast of the rock and roll age uh there are those that come before it that lead up to uh to them and and there are those that that come after but
0: i 've never heard of them, but continue <laughs> <laughs> wow uh so uh. With Rush, uh, the listeners, that was a joke. Yes, you yes, yes. Uh,
1: with Rush, mm-hmm. do you think they actually deserve this devotion in in general, and then and then you in specific? Yeah, absolutely. I, I,
0: they uh, the specific.
1: This, it is. I mean, you know, as as we've gone through this interview, uh, it's very obvious. I mean, that you you appear to have the same love and passion that you probably did. Um, that. After that first concert, when yeah. it all when it all kind of mm-hmm. all the pieces of the puzzle came together, yeah. and you went, "Oh my God, mm-hmm. these guys speak to me like nobody has spoke to me before." But but to the general public, did, you know, the Beatles are, are obviously for historical reasons. Um, mm-hmm. You yeah. know, uh, you know, are you know these lyric sheets are in the British Museum. You know, mm-hmm. do you think Rush? Do you think Rush fits that bill? Are they are they there? Are they close? Does does Rush deserve this kind of adulation? And yeah, well, this, this singular devotion—not not just from you, because there hmm. are you know people up there, and you know, uh, you know, hey, I I was I was one, but I was one when I was you know 17 18 years mm-hmm. old um mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, where you know this was the only band there's nobody can compete nobody can come close to 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 this uh and there are still people you know and it's obvious in the, in the two movies we've uh, we've mentioned today uh beyond the lighted stage and time Stand still that mm-hmm. you know these people
0: exist and they're everywhere yeah indeed well I'll say this you mentioned something at the you know at the beginning about you know, being their biggest fan, uh, I'm not their biggest fan. I'm only five foot six, so I know there's people who are a lot bigger than I am. Second of all, uh, I'll get to your question about the you know is this adulation deserved? Uh, I know that, I know that what I do is it's not unique. I know that I know that I'm not alone. Maybe maybe what I've done maybe to in, the extent, yeah, I don't think you could take it much farther than what I've taken it tangibly. But I know that I'm not alone. And for all these years, you know, there, there was another point uh, historically in 1985, I, I placed an ad in a magazine. At, at that point, Russia just completely swept me off my feet and I just couldn't get enough. The music almost wasn't enough for me. I needed more. That's why I started surrounding myself with all this nonsense that surrounded me and still surrounded, me. And and still does today, yes. Correct, so I placed an ad in a magazine asking for serious Rush fans to write to me, wondering, you know, is there anybody else out there who has this passion? Well, good lord, the response to that ad was overwhelming. I I couldn't believe just the sheer volume of mail that was coming in, and the fact that I was meeting all these people who were definitive pen pals, who, who became definitive pen pals, had the same sort of adulation for this band and their music that I did. And we're doing the same kind of things that I did. Now, some of these people ended up becoming just legitimate, beautiful, dear friends that here I am now in 2017, 32 years after placing that ad, I now consider these people some of my, you know, just closest, closest friends. Mm -hmm. So I know that what the band has done for me, I know that I'm not alone. I've seen this same behavior in, Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, both documented on film and in the course of my career following the band, I know the sort of influence that they've had on on people. So, do they deserve the adulation? Who, who, who better than them? Yes, unequivocally. Yes, I've chosen. I've chosen them, but I, I also understand. I also understand this behavior. That my complete loyalty to Rush. I don't even think that's unique. I've often, I've often wanted, you know, people such as yourself, Christian, to kind of get together some sort of a roundtable discussion in which, okay, we've got Ray Wozniak here. He's a mega Rush fan, and here's Joe Schmo who pledges his allegiance to you too, and here's this character who kind of have all these people get together. And I don't think my story would be that unique. I, I think it's testament to my loyalty, but I know that I know that I'm not alone, Rush. Rush deserves it. They've they've given me, over the course of their career, n- nothing but positive energy. They've given me education. They've given me friendship. They've given me great experiences. They've allowed me to see parts of the continent that I probably would not have otherwise seen. Why else would I be sitting in Portland, Oregon, or in Seattle, Washington, or in Albuquerque, New Mexico, or in Red Rocks in Colorado, were it not for them? So they've given me so much Positive energy, but I know the case exists for not only many other Rush fans, but for other music fans in general. That I think my behavior is is not singular.
1: Well, you're 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 proving the case of the rock and roll archaeology project right here. So we we thank you for that. So I was just reading the script that you provided for me. That's all. <laughs> so okay. So obviously, it's affected your life positively. Mm-hmm. But has it affected your life at all? I mean,
0: forty years, Ray. Mm-hmm. Has it affected mm-hmm. your life negatively at all? I'll I'll, I'll cite I'll cite two negatives. <laughs> Number one has to be clearly financial. <laughs> right. right, right, right. <laughs> yes. I'm not I'm not in any kind of financial <laughs> trouble at all in 2017. I've always been real r- responsible in that regard. But one of the friends, my beloved friend. Monica, Monica Zimmerman, uh, from Seattle, now in California, out there in your neck of the woods. Uh, she and I have often spoke many times in years gone by about you know God. I w- I would really like to know how much money I've actually spent under the umbrella topic of Rush. That all those years ago, when I mentioned having placed this ad uh, in the magazine. Good Lord, the amount of money I was spending on postage was just outrageous Uh for so many years it was outrageous never mind the travel and the hotels and the concert tickets and the food and the memorabilia and all that there was so much of that that I kind of would like to know but at the same time I don't think I want to know how much money I've spent and secondly there was one ex-girlfriend there was one girlfriend in my life who became my ex-girlfriend because she questioned my loyalty she didn't question
1: my loyalty to her i don't think I, that's a very unique uh yeah. situation when it comes specifically to rush uh, let's face sure. it not exactly a girl ban uh when, yeah. when, when, when when you think about it although that's changed quite a bit as the years have come on uh i i, I mean i you know i remember going to you know small venues and seeing them and it was just nothing, nothing but guys. You know, I, I remember uh, sitting up uh, and seeing the glow sticks and people, you know, mimicking every move that Neil would would make, which I, I've never seen before or since. Let me tell you that that that's a really unique situation. But <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I mean, uh, hey, look, uh, any fandom requires a certain level of sacrifice and yeah. uh, that doesn't sound
0: too bad uh, mm-hmm. compared to uh, compared to most so but, but again I under I under I understand it I understand people who are hopping on a plane because you're a car buff and there's a car show that's happening on the other side of the country and you just have to be there. Yeah. Or Green Bay Packers season ticket holders who are putting their season tickets in the will to ensure that their great grandchildren will inevitably inherit these Green Bay Packers season tickets because they haven't missed a game in 58 years. I get it. I I feel bad for people who after all their years of young adulthood and into adulthood didn't find some kind of passion. I'm I'm lucky that I found Rush at the age that I did Rush and sports as well. I'm, I'm lucky that I found this relationship with Rush that X number of years later, I'm still ridiculously passionate about. And I feel bad for people who have gotten to my age who never found a real passion. So I I understand the passion in in, in yourself, Christian. I understand the passion in, in people because of how I've lived my life as a definitively passionate loyal person in my case towards rush mm. so let's talk a little bit about them
1: here before we uh, have to end this you know in 2013 they, they they finally uh were allowed into the rock and roll hall of fame and as is uh, pointed out in the in the movie and and i i remember uh, watching it um, you know uh, when it uh, when it was aired uh, originally when when Jan Warner uh, mentions them at the very beginning of the show, the roar of the crowd is <laughs> unlike pretty much any other band that had ever been mentioned as an inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But is is that a, is that a temporary? thing is is that a, a win for the common man that um uh that really helped push them into uh the hall they they wouldn't have gotten there uh, had it just been up to uh the uh, the hall members and the uh, and the usual voters it was the public that demanded it you know but you know Five hundred years from now, in the future, are people going to remember Rush? They, as we've talked about the Beatles, they, they will definitely remember the Beatles. They, they're they're going to be mm-hmm. like Mozart. But does, does Rush fit in that? Is is their legacy that strong that mm-hmm. it will survive the test of long time?
0: Well, first of all, yes. Do do, do they deserve it all? Yes, That, that induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was just the biggest thank you that they could have been given. Everybody knew that they were deserving of it. That was just one big thing. There's so many times I've been with each of the three members of the band on multiple occasions, and hopefully every single time I found myself with them, I remember to thank them for all the positive energy that they have given me. And, and I'm sure that's the case with anybody else who's found themselves in their company. I'm sure they've thanked them as well. But that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was just one big, huge public thank you to this band who've only given just so much good to their fans. Now, that in and of itself, you know, to their fans, that is part of their legacy that can never be tarnished. Their their legacy will be carried on by their incredibly loyal fan base. You know, forever, Yeah, but that
1: that fan base can't survive. Uh they're not mm-hmm. going to tour much if if at all anymore. They mm-hmm. will put out uh rare if any records moving mm-hmm. forward now. I'm asking the question, mm-hmm. you know, 100 I think years it can from survive. Now, I think 500 that, years from now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it can survive. How is it that the Beatles, who you know haven't recorded since 1969, they haven't recorded in 49 years? How has their music survived? Well, those people who are passionate about the Beatles pass down their passion to their children. New <laughs> generations have, have picked up on the Beatles. And so my question is, will
1: new generations do that with Rush? So I might ask, sure. do your kids, are they as big a Rush fans as you?
0: Well, are they as big a Rush fans as me? No, it would be a little odd if they were. Uh, God has blessed me with three great kids, all of whom have been surrounded by music in the course of their life. And music is now a part of their life, just as music became a part of my life, thanks to what my dad was doing at home. My son has found all the good in Rush as well. And Rush's you know his number one favorite band, not because I was cramming it down the throat; I think it was just kind of through osmosis. He almost couldn't get away from it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, all these, all the rush shows that I go to, there's so many families that you'll see there now, parents with their children. So I know already that the legacy is being passed down to the next generation of fans. Is their legacy set? Yes, because it's their incredibly loyal fan base who would refuse to let it refuse to let it die. They need to honor the legacy that the band, they need to honor the work that the band has done and continue to pass it down for generations to come. So I still want to know about this Beatles band you keep referencing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So basically did they set themselves up for the future in the story of 2112? Are they the music that the protagonist finds in the
0: story? Mm, Well, we'll we'll, we'll find out in uh, how how many years is that? In uh, 95 years, when they're going out on tour in support of the uh, 140th anniversary of the making of 2112, when they recreate that album on stage, then all will be revealed.
1: All will be revealed. Yes. Ray Wozniak, thanks so much for being with us today on Deeper Digs in Rock. It's been a, a real pleasure.
0: Christian and you, thank you again so much for inviting me. Uh, I'm honored to have even been asked in the first place my continued best wishes and success and happiness to yourself with all of your work. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak on behalf of some of the Rush fan base.
1: Mr. Ray Warzniak, ladies and gentlemen, a hero from the subdivisions of Buffalo. What a great time. He is a rock and roll archaeologist whose doctoral dissertation is clearly in Rush studies. Please look to the band's 40th anniversary re-release of A Farewell to Kings, 2112, and Rush, to catch Ray's liner notes. Let me tell you, as a tribe, Rush fans are just as obsessive as the Grateful Dead or Elvis or, dare I say, maybe Believers, though uh, definitely a little more cerebral. Now, our Friday nights are probably filled more with gaming than, say, any long strange trips or rocking the jailhouse. Hey, diggers, thanks for stopping by and come back real soon and please tell a friend I'm Christian Swain, and this has been Deeper Digs in Rock, a production of Rock and Roll Archaeology. Thank you again for listening, and keep up the rockin'.
0: Deeper Digs in Rock, produced and hosted by Kristen Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. All quotes performed by actors
1: unless noted. Playlists can be found at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please purchase these great and important tracks. All songs, clips, and references can be found on our show notes. Please visit rnrap.com for more information.